WYPR is here to keep you connected to your community. And as our communities change amid the coronavirus pandemic, that connection is more important than ever before. Member support makes it possible. And if you can, we hope you'll help us out. If you're a sustaining member, consider increasing your monthly pledge or become a new member with a first-time gift. Come to WYPR.org and click the donate link. And thanks. Welcome back, everybody. Um, This is Theo Hill again. And our program is One Day at a Time in Recovery in Baltimore. Tonight, we have a very distinguished guest um, who is a good friend of mine. Um, We were out there together and then we both went to school, and um, and then now we just have careers in the field of uh, addiction. His name is George, and George, can you explain to the the people in the podcast land uh, how all this got started? It got <laughs> started, I guess, when I was very young, very young. I started drinking. My father and mother were functional alcoholics. Right. And being functional alcoholics, yeah. they fought a lot. And I was the arbitrator. I was the one in between breaking fights up and all that good stuff, right? And just like anything else, I was sneaking drinks. Right. And it, it just progressed. It just progressed. But uh I went to jail when I was fifteen for stealing, right? And during the time I was in jail, my father killed my mother. Right. So uh I was lost. It was my first time in jail. I couldn't mourn her. I couldn't do anything because I didn't want to cry. I didn't know how you're supposed to act in jail, right? Mm-hmm. I just uh, was confused, to say the least. I came home, and since my mother had been killed, my father was in jail, and you know, it was just trauma for me. And my uh, brother-in-law used drugs. Okay. He used heroin. Mm-hmm. So I came home. I started getting checks for Social Security. I got my check. And I told him I wanted to try heroin because it, over the jail, you know, it was about, oh my gracious, it had to be about five or six of us that were very young. Right. And we used to run around, you know, just run around like it was a playground. Mm-hmm. Um, and we used to hear the old guys talking about cookers and getting high and all that good stuff. Of course, being the person I am, that became my life's ambition. I'm going to get high as soon as I go home, right? Mm-hmm. I went home. I told my brother-in-law what I wanted to do, and he, during that time, it was always, no, you don't want to do this. Stay away from this. This is not for you. Rather than encourage, he tried to dissuade me from doing it. Right. Well, I told him I had money, and he was sick. Hmm. The rest is history. I yeah. mean, he's sick. I'm, he's sick. I got money. What does that mean? I'm going to get you some. Yeah. I ain't going to like doing it, but I'm going to get you some. Right. We went around this lady's house, and he gave me a G-shot, right, And which is a a very, right. very, 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 very small shot of heroin. I never sniffed. I never did anything. I mainlined the first time I shot, uh, did heroin. And for that, it takes a special effort to get a habit because I was ill, sick, growing up, couldn't keep nothing on my stomach. I was terrible, feeling miserable, all those things. So you had to be a soldier to even go back to want to feel that feeling again. Right. I went back and I shot dope from that point on. 
Right, of course I did every other drug. Mm-hmm. But heroin was my main drug until the last six months of my addiction. Then it was cocaine. It's a lot of stories of what happened to me, you know, and what incidents and what experiences I had. But the thing is, I guess at some point we all suffer the same thing. You know, and no matter what the experience is, that the self-esteem is low. You know what I mean? You just feel terrible. You know, and at some point, initially, I'm telling you, I, I, don't, I didn't want to, oh, I just want to give this life up. I didn't. When I was getting money. I was enjoying life. This is the beginning. Right, right. And, you know what I mean? It's, it's good. Life is good. Right? Well, at least I saw, I thought. Right? But uh, nobody told me about the end results of life being good. Let me explain that. I've been to jail. Don't even know how many times. Right? Been shot three times. Stabbed once. I mean, so... It's been a whole lot of experiences, but we all had our own personal experiences about how we got to where we got. Right. I mean, in retrospect and looking back, I know all those had to happen for me to be sitting here right here today. Correct. Yes, sir. It doesn't feel that way when you're going through it, but that this is something that has to happen. But, you know, I guess this is a part of being in recovery. Mm-hmm. Being and understanding uh, how I got to where I am. You know what I mean? And even when I went to jail, I never stopped using. Right. I mean, even though, because I'm, I'm crazy, because I go to jail, I'm a health nut. Run ball all mm-hmm. day long, read all day long, that's all. That's all I did, read, run ball. And I guess I was working out, do whatever you did during that time, just to save myself up. But mentally, I never stopped right. getting high. I remember one time I went to jail, and they were serving, a, and it was a fantastic package. I think I was gone 18 months, maybe two years. Mm-hmm. Wrote memory. I went back to a corner that no longer existed in the drug world because they had stopped selling it two years ago. But my mind told me this is where I last copped. Right. This is where it was good at, go mm-hmm. back there. And I probably, lucky I didn't get burned. Because I had to be looking stupid, standing there looking for something that wasn't there anymore. But I guess I've done everything. I've, I mean, I've tried everything to get money. You know, I sold dope. I hung paper. Mm-hmm. I stole. I did credit cards. Mm-hmm. I stuck up. I did whatever it takes to get drugs. And that was been... Last time I used drugs was... September 15, 1985. It's been a long road. I have a recovery story, right, of mis- misadventures and, mm-hmm. you know, oh, it's, it doesn't, it pales to my drug use, but it still sometimes can be just as devastating. Yes. You yes, know? it can. So, I mean, I have a recovery story that says I chased money, right? I, I fell into uh, other addictions. Right, and you you always trying to make up for lost time, something you think you missed. Now I'm just a guy that want to be peaceful, and, and it's interesting. I've never, I've never been so at peace most of the time. I'm not living outside my means. 
If I don't have the money for it, ain't no problem. I don't get it. Right. You know what I mean? So it's a very different attitude. One time it was, I had to have it because it was new. But I did go through a period where I was doing well. Mm-hmm. And nothing was exciting. I brought clothes and things. Right. I mean, it just manifests itself all kinds of ways. It's not just a matter of putting a drug in you. Mm-hmm. Or, or a drug that's identified as a drug, because all of it does the same thing. Right. Make you feel a certain way. I'm better now, though. Well, that's good. I think. That's good. <laughs> now, what brought you to the point of 1985? What made you say, this is it? Or had it just run its course? I don't think there's a particular incident. I don't think, you know, this was a... Uh, oh my God, this is a mortifying incident. I can't do this anymore. My course had been coming to that point. Right. You know, I, I can't live like I can't keep living like this. You know what I mean? You know, they used to call me the intelligent dope fiend because I used to know the stock price. I used to keep Wall Street Journal in my back pocket. That's what I used to read sitting on the steps waiting for somebody to come that I could burn. So, I mean, that, you know what I mean? So, I understand that. It's just that this phase of my life was over. I didn't do it that way then. I just knew I was tired. Right. I just knew that there had to be something different for my life. And I didn't know what. And I'll tell you, I was on a methadone program. Uh, I started going to meetings on the methadone program. Mm-hmm. You know, and how that happened was I was on, well, a program in West Baltimore, right? Well, Project of Death. Okay. I was on Project of Death. And, uh, I used to come in and get my medic. I was shooting cocaine in the last six months. Right, right, right. right. So, I, so I used to come in and get my methadone, and the nurse would say, George, my, you look, you okay? You know what I mean? And I would give some flip answers. Like, I my goddamn mouth. I don't want to hear that shit. But, you know, something along those lines, right, something real flip, something real smart, and that's the discuss was with me versus her. Right, exactly. So, I mean, then two weeks later, she was saying, my God, George, you sick? You know what I mean? I said, like, right, give me this, give me the medication. About two weeks later, she said, George, you're dying. Mm. You're dying, right? And I went to Bayview. And when I got in Bayview, it was the first time ever in my mm. life that mm-hmm. I didn't care where it was at, didn't care where the best package was, didn't want you to do any of that. I just wanted to get out. I left baby September 15, 1985, against medical advice. I was done. <laughs> I was through. And from that point on, praises due to God, mm-hmm. right? I, I have not had anything. Praises due to God. And, and, and I owe it all to him. I know somebody's prayers got me here other than my own. Right. My prayers was, can I get a hit today for God's sake? <laughs> I'm tired of this. I'm tired of blood being everywhere in the bathroom, and I still don't get nothing in me. When I get something in me, it's not worth the effort. I'm tired of that. So there were a ton of events, mm-hmm. little small things, but nothing major to say, oh, this is the epiphanal moment where I say, oh, my God, I got to stop. Nothing happened like that. Okay. Our paths kind of crossed again um, when I was coming through city jail, and you were running a program called MASAP. Yeah. Can you give us a little uh, history on that? Oh, sure. I've always been relatively intelligent. Not always smart, which some people sometimes confuse the two. 
you know, I, I've been intelligent, you know, books and all that. I just don't, I make terrible decisions sometimes, right? I'm not, I don't make, always make smart decisions. Right. So I haven't always been smart, but I've always been intelligent. Went to school. I started working for Baltimore City Detention Center. Initially, they wouldn't let me work. Right. Initially, I couldn't get in, right? But they saw how long I'd been clean, right? So they said, and I hadn't had any charges, so they said, okay. The warden said, okay, let him work. I ran the, the acupuncture program over there, right? And I guess I was a tough taskmaster. At least that's what people tell me. And so we had a, a tight program over there. We had a whole lot of people graduate. We had a, I had a whole lot of people come to me after that and say, thank you, mm -hmm. thank you. And I don't think there's no greater feeling than know that God used his instrument in somebody else's life. Right. Because right, clearly it was God. Well, and then we ran across each other here in, uh, in our careers and, and addiction, and um, you seem to be doing okay now, too. Well, I mean, like I say, uh, what I want is less. I'm, I'm a clinical supervisor, if that if that's the yes. definition of okay. I'm the clinical supervisor, right? Uh, at times, I've supervised up to 25 to, to 30 counselors, right, just based on, and I work at Methadone. I work in the biggest clinic in the world in one building, mm -hmm. Methadone. And I know most of your listeners will know Turning Point Clinic. Right. And the whole system is moving towards a different philosophical view than we all had. Right? When I get in my office and close the door, I can tell them anything I want. Exactly. But in the general population, I, it's harm reduction. Mm-hmm. It's harm reduction. And that's what everybody is shooting for now, harm reduction. And I, I come out of abstinence school of thought. Yes, me too. But... Especially now, since even people with methadone have a better chance of not ODing off fentanyl than somebody without it. So that adds to the credence. I'm not saying it adds to it being a better product. I'm not saying any of that. What I'm saying is, if it works for one person, it works. Okay. And, and, you know, you just got to get who you can help and how you can help them. Some you can, some you can't. It's just like anything else. Even with abstinence, everybody doesn't get clean. Correct. And, and fellowship says you some must uh, die so that others can live. Mm -hmm. Right? And it seems harsh, but that's the reality of where we are. Well, look, George, it's been a, a pleasure, and I think that um, I'm definitely going to invite you back on as, as the program begins to grow a little bit. And um, thank you very much. Oh, you're quite welcome. I, you know, of course, at first I had apprehensions. But I, of course. You made me feel comfortable. <laughs> I appreciate you. Right? And, and, and really, it was a rewarding experience. Thank you, George. Okay, everyone. Um, that's our episode for this evening. And um, we will, we'll, let's talk again. <laughs>